Hey guys, and welcome back to Rupture Radio. Uh, it's Michael here. Um, I'm delighted to join, be joined um, today by uh, Des. Des, how's it going? Uh, very good, Michael. Good to be here again. Yeah, um, you may remember a few weeks ago, uh, I, I had Des on for a discussion about um, his article in issue three of Rupture, uh, which was about the, the metabolic rift uh, in the Irish context. Um, we decided that went quite well. So I'm having Des on again to talk about his his his, uh, his article in this issue, or issue four, uh, which is on financialization and accumulation in the housing market. The article is titled uh, The Deepening Housing Crisis, Financialization and Accumulation. You can obviously read the full article uh, in issue four of Rupture magazine. Um, as far as I'm aware, we are actually nearly out of copies of issue four. We may, we may well be by the time this podcast is actually uh, released. Um, but we would we would encourage you to, to, to subscribe to, to, to Rupture, uh, which you can do at rupture.ie. Okay, um, so to, to, to begin then... Um, just to get a, a broad idea of of of, of the article, um, at the start of your article, um, talking about uh, the 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 kind of I guess the the housing crisis, you go back quite far um, to the early twentieth century. In fact, so why do you feel the need for this kind of I guess bird's eye historical view first of all before tackling the housing crisis? Yeah. Um... <clears throat> Yeah, I, I did, uh, having, you know, trying to map out the article at the start and decided to do that because um, cause I think it's really important to, to recognise that what's happening in Ireland is not anomalous internationally. It's not just the product of Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael, though between them they're um, contributing to it and making it uh, a lot worse than it might otherwise be. But, um, uh, you know, what's happening here is the inevitable and constantly repeating outcome of uh, capital, capitalism's permanent processes of, of growth and dispossession and accumulation. Um, and housing has been particularly important to capitalism um, over the last century. It's been really central to its development uh, and its growth and the profitability of capitalism for you know really much of the last century um and in thinking about it i was kind of influenced i guess by i read quite a few books by david harvey and i don't know if listeners will have read his stuff but i i really find him interesting he does a lot on kind of urban geography and how urbanization suburbanization housing has been really important to to capitalism he's talk talks about the built environment serves as an overflow tank into which surplus i.e over accumulated capital can be switched um you know so he, he he's written a lot about urbanization uh building of infrastructure suburbanization and housing providing important investment opportunities for excess capital and and that's completely particularly acute, I think, since the mid-1970s, when the post-World War II boom of capital and capitalism, that long boom, when that kind of ran out of energy. Um, and we saw the entry then of the neoliberal era replacing the, the Keynesian era. Um, an excess um, industrial capacity and, and, uh, and capital was redeployed to to building and to 
creating assets and then financializing those uh, assets, commercial property uh, and housing. Um, so that, that's been a really important process for, for many decades. <clears throat> and also, I think housing is really important, not just purely economically to capitalism, but it was very important politically um, in uh, basically a device to win social and political support support for neoliberalism um, or at least an acquiescence to it you know and Thatcher was probably the pioneer uh, in relation to this in privatizing social housing pushing home ownership and this also happened in Ireland as well and you know to to an extent it had a period of political success for capitalism um, in, in, in how it affected people's perceptions of their own wealth uh, and security. Um, but as is so often the case in capitalism, the internal contradictions work themselves out and what was once a source of growth and, and social support for capitalism is now becoming a problem that threatens capitalism itself. Um, because the commodification and commercialization of housing has now made it unaffordable to the next generations of working class people. Uh, and the housing crisis is creating a level of anger and resentment that is building towards being increasingly an existential threat to to the social support or at least the acquiescence um, that's been there. Um, that and that capitalism has always relied on, to, you know, as the basis of its rule, uh, at least in its, you know, what we might call its, call its bourgeois democratic forms. Um, so, you know, and, and this crisis that we're experiencing in Ireland, it, you know, it, similar things are being see, seen elsewhere. Looking at some recent news reports, EU house prices are growing at the fastest pace at the moment since 2007. US house prices increasing at the fastest rate in 30 years. UK housing prices at the, increasing at the fastest rate in nearly 20 years. Um, so I think we're in a, a pivotal era for capitalism. And uh, it's one in which housing is playing a very important part. Um, uh, and, you know, I, I kind of wanted to try and bring some of that into the article in the opening uh, section of it. Um, so... <clears throat> Um, you know the, the the you know the the periods of financialization through the last century um, has expre been expressed in, in you know, several different ways. One of which would be mortgage lending. That's something that emerged in the nineteen thirties, probably in the U.S. in a, in a mass way, and became a factor across large parts of Western Europe as well. Um, and that was, you know, the the uh, financialization uh, of of housing you know, from the 30s through to the 80s. That would have been the, the primary element uh, of it. And then moving into um, new phases of financialization, particularly in the, the neoliberal era. Yeah, great. Um, and so a, a crucial concept then when, when, when you talk about um, that, that, that the dawn of that neo neoliberal era is, is, and the financialization um, was securitization mm. um and what 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 exactly was this this practice and, and and how how much did it differ from how it were handled before 
So securitization, this is something that came, you know, in the 1980s in particular, really core part of the neoliberal era. And it was um, the development of what's referred to also as the secondary mortgage market. Um, and it's the financial practice of pooling together various types of debt, um, residential mortgages, commercial mortgages, other loans, um, and then the, the financial institutions that sold these, selling them on again in packages, um, basically to investors who are effectively buying the cash flow, the repayments that will be coming from uh, the people who owe those debts, um, you know, and that's that's uh, an investment yield to to investors. So through this, you know, secondary mortgage market or and this securitization pro, uh, process, banks no longer just sold mortgages in their local markets and uh, they no, no longer just held those mortgages through to maturity in 12, 20, 25, 30 years. They evolved uh, from in the 80s and 90s into mortgage originators, um, selling the mortgages uh, onwards in the international financial markets. Um, so in that, securitization is a process that embedded housing and, you know, through mortgages directly into the financial uh, and stock markets. And in the article, uh, I referred to another good book that I'd recommend to people called In Defense of Housing by David Madden and Peter Marcuse, that they um, talked about housing is increasingly treated as an investment for capital gain and rental income rather than as, as a place to live. Uh, ever less an infrastructure for living and ever more an instrument for financial accumulation. So the securitization process was very, very important through the 80s and the 90s, core to neo neoliberalism and the, the second, I guess, mass wave of financialization of housing. Yeah, um, and just, just to go back to your mention of, of David Harvey earlier, it was, mm. it was interesting that you brought him up and I would very... Uh, very much second um, your recommendation of him to to, to any listeners, mm. but um, the reason I, I mention Harvey is because a point he he always makes, um, which I think makes sense in light of what you're talking here, and to kind of put it in I guess classical Marxist terms, is that um, com commodities under capitalism tend to have uh, a use and an exchange value that are kind of constantly in, in conflict with each other. So the use value, what the actual use of the commodity is, the exchange value, um, what you can exchange it for uh, on a market. Um, and he, Harvey, uh, has often made the point of um, looking at it through that lens can explain a lot about what's going on with housing and what's going on in urban economies. Yeah. Um, because we can see the use value and the exchange value very much in conflict here um, and, and, and the context of the kind of securitization you describe of housing becoming a financial product is the exchange value um, being prioritized o o over the use value yeah. and, all, and all the problems that creates. Yeah. Um, so I, th I, 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 I think, yeah, that, that's a very useful explanation. Um, moving on into the article a bit more um after placing the the housing uh, uh, housing in its historical and global context um you then kind of talked about or you talk about the situation in ireland which i think is obviously going to be very relevant to a lot of our listeners uh, especially if, if if they're my age and renting um and you know don't have much prospects of of, of owning a home um 
Specifically, though, you draw attention to a time uh, when the state and local councils uh, were prolific providers of social mm. housing, um, something which Fianna Fáil still try to claim credit for to this day, um, despite them being uh, very uh, important in the process that stripped back the capacity to build those houses. Um, but I digress. Uh, however, when we observe the housing market for the last 40 odd years, uh, this clearly isn't really the case anymore. So what happened in the interim that that has changed that uh, in this country? Yeah, and it is so important when we listen to Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael in particular these days to remember that, you know, in those early decades uh, from the foundation of, of the state in 1922 right through to the late 1950s, you know, the, the, the majority of houses built um, through that period were social houses. I think if you go through the data and every individual year, I think almost every year, the majority in, in each year were were social houses built by local authorities and, and uh, state uh, entities. Um, so to the point where in, in the 1960s, I think up to the mid or late 1960s, uh, almost one in five homes were uh, owned by the state and were rented. Um, but then there was, you know, through the the, the neoliberal era, you know, as I mentioned before, and the you know the use of housing for political purposes, um, social housing provision, uh, the building of new houses was was driven down since the nineteen eighties uh, persistently. Um, existing stock was privatized, um, and uh, you know we got to the point where now I think it's about one in 13 homes uh, is owned by the state uh, and, and local authorities. Um, so it really was that, again, that neoliberal era, that f- philosophy of the market and privatisation expressed through housing that that brought us to the point where the social housing stock is now at such uh, a, a low ebb. Um, and as social housing declined. What replaced it then was was financialised housing in the form, as we talked about before, of, of mortgage-based private home ownership. Um, Ireland reached very high levels of private home ownership, uh, high by international standards, um, you know, spurred on by enthusiastic policy support from every Irish government through that neoliberal era. Um, And I saw it expressed somewhere that Irish housing uh, became the place found by large flows of international finance capital. Um, uh, So that's some data I I found that between 1999 and 2012, Ireland's credit expansion was in excess of 400 percent, whereas Germany uh, expanded its credit during that period by only 23 percent. and that massive credit expansion in Ireland was very heavily weighted towards mortgage finance. Um, and, you know, it was pivotal in driving home ownership in Ireland. I think it reached, uh, in the early noughties, reached 82% um, of, of homes in Ireland were privately owned, which was high uh, historically and internationally. But this crashed, you know, inevitably uh, in 2007-2008 as that cheap and plentiful international credit on which the financialised model depended disappeared almost overnight. Um, And there's been this precipitous drop now in home ownership is now down to about 65%, I think, and it's dropping very uh, rapidly. 
So we've had this crunch where um, there's very li- limited social housing available now. Um, and, you know, there's the dis- disappearance of the credit-based home ownership model. Um, and, you know, where that has bubbled out into is a massive increase in the number of households living in the private rental uh, sector. So and I think it's, you know, when you boil it right down, it is this combination of the decades-long process of, of reducing social housing stock on one side um, and then the, the this, you know, relatively recent collapse over the last decade or so in, in the availability of cheap, cheap mortgage credit that has generated this very intense affordable housing crisis that we now have in Ireland. Yeah, no, I, th- I think so. those are such important points to make. Um, one, I think one other component to that picture that, that, that I would add as well, and this is actually another point that uh, David Harvey frequently makes, is that um, in that period of like the dawn of the neoliberal era, as you, you kind of describe the, the privatization that happens, but another thing that happens is that the, the power of labor is, is weakened. Um, as in labor, the concept, not not the party. Uh, the, the, the power of labor is weakened. Um, and one consequence of that is that um, in, in wages uh, relative to, to, to inflation have in fact gone down since that period. Um, and that's a factor in the explosion of cheap credit as well, because when workers are, are being paid less in real terms, they're much less likely to be able um, to, to, to afford houses. So cheap credit is the only way um, they can have them. And it's the only way the market can actually keep going um, in, 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 in any sense. So, so I think just wanted to, to, to raise that, yeah. that, that, that yeah. other part of the, the puzzle as well because yeah. uh, it's a, it's a, it's multifaceted but as I said those are those are really important points to make um, moving then to where you just left us with that reply and that's the the collapse of that network of cheap credit in the financial crisis of 0708 um, and what happened was that the country was left filled with various kind of toxic assets toxic properties and um, to deal with this situation, um, the government uh, set up an organisation called uh, the National a- Asset Management Agency, or, or NAMA. Um, could you explain, I guess, the, the significance of NAMA, what it was meant to do, uh, and how it contributed to getting us to where we are today? So this is, we're talking about the last 10, 12 years now. Yeah, yeah. Like, NAMA is a really pivotal um, uh, event in the Irish property and housing market um and you know when the collapse came it was it's quite obvious then and it remains obvious now that the only you know meaningful policy response that that was needed was was to build new social housing on a big scale and do it rapidly but you know uh the market ideology of Fine Gael and Fine Fall, and coupled with our close ties with the property sector that that meant that this policy response has remained virtually uh, untouched uh, and instead their primary response you know quickly evolved into creating um, the the national asset management agency that it was set up <clears throat> 2009 it was set up so it was a pretty rapid response to to the crisis um, and this coupled with the creation of a legal and a tax environment here that made acquisition of large blocks of apartments very attractive for uh, investment opportunities for corporate landlords in, in particular, including the real estate investment trusts, the, the REITs. Um, and, you know, uh, this is a part, something else I was reading recently, that a part of a long-established pattern um, uh, 
Uh, because according to market and, and neoliberal ide- ideology, uh, the, the resolution of economic crises, um, including property, property crises, are, are supposed to be achieved um, optimally by a market that is unrestrained by state regulations or uh, other state involvement. But in reality, uh, capitalist economies are defined um, by the decisive role and interventions of state actors and state institutions. <clears throat> And, um, you know, this is particularly in re- uh, evident in relation to property markets and the resolution of property crises. Um, and uh, there's a lot of international experience for many decades now is that uh, public institutions and state interventions are, interventions are crucial to the, uh, to the crisis uh, resolution pr- uh, process. And um, so the, the UN Special Rapporteur on, on Housing, the UN you know, wouldn't necessarily be something socialists or Marxists would be turning to, but they do actually produce some good reports. They don't act on them in any meaningful way a lot of the time. But on the housing side, they've produced some uh, reports that are looking at. Um, but they, they've noticed that states' uh, housing policies have often become accountable to financial institutions and seem to pander to the confidence of global credit markets and the preferences of wealthy private uh, investors. So, you know, again, to, to put it into a bit of an international context, this thing of the neoliberal state ironically using um, state resources and state institutions to enable um, capital accumulations uh, uh, opportunities. And, and this was clearly the role of NAMA. Um, it acquired the high-risk debts from uh Irish banks and then set about disposing of those loans and their underlying property and land assets. Uh, NAVA, very importantly, it was given a commercial remit and was pressed by the government uh, to reduce its assets very quickly. And this inevitably meant that uh, <coughs> NAVA disposed of its portfolio in very large blocks of property, um, which... The, the 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 flow down effect of that that excluded private individuals and, and many smaller commercial entities from being able to buy any NAMA property, and most of that property was acquired by large institutional investors, often at very heavily discounted prices. And it, so, um, in this way, NAMA uh, effectively uh, acted as a market maker for corporate investors to become major players in Ireland's. Uh, residential housing sector for the first time in in the history of the state Um, because the establishment of NAMA along with the enablement of REITs and the creation of other tax incentives for corporate property investors had had an explicit objective to attract international capital into the Irish market and the government of the day uh, and the Minister of Finance of the day, Michael Noonan held many, many meetings with corporate property investors uh, offering encouragement to those investors, investors to buy Irish property, um, and in that respect, you know they, they proved very effective. They certainly did bring in vast uh, quantities of international capital. So, I mean, Iris Reit and uh, Kennedy Wilson are the two largest private residential landlords in Ireland now. Neither of them owned as much as a home in Ireland before 2012. Now they're the two two biggest. Um, so the market was made for them by NAMA as the chosen uh, centrepiece policy of the Irish governments uh, of the day. Uh, and we're seeing, really seeing now the, the effects of all that 
and then you know the the, the move by corporate investors out into suburban housing estates as well you know um um so yeah so that the 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 response was to to deploy the institutions and the resources of the state to create this whole new stage of the process by creating very attractive capital accumulation opportunities for international capital um underpinned by this <clears throat> nebulous belief that through bringing in lots of global capital it would somehow create how uh affordable housing to meet demand the and the strategy was effective in driving down uh, sorry driving up property prices and rents higher um but it has been a catastrophic failure in generating increased supply of affordable housing for people and yeah i think i think you touch on something so important there which is like a broader point about neoliberalism in general and that's that it is despite its rhetoric, it is a statist project that requires massive intervention, the use of the capacities of the state um, to create markets where they no longer existed, where they previously didn't exist, um, and to create competition where it previously didn't exist, to commodify things that previously Mm. weren't commodified. It's just that that state capacity um, is used in the service of, of, of capital um, and that the, the rhetoric um, and I guess the more kind of like libertarian rhetoric associated with, with um, is just to provide this kind of like ideological veneer of like naturalism that this is the way things just are without intervention and so there is no alternative to, to, to it when in reality uh, there has been a huge amount of, of state capacity deployed uh, to, to, to set up this economic and that's just, I think, one one particularly pertinent example you've you've outlined there. Um, going back to, to to Ireland and housing specifically, then um, you, you go on to draw parallels between NAMA and the LDA or the Local Development Agency. Uh, for listeners who, who aren't that familiar with the LDA, uh, could you firstly explain what exactly the LDA is, and then following that, like what are, are are the common features that you you see between NAMA and the LDA? Yeah, yeah, I, I think you know the LDA, the, the Land Development Agency. I think this is the new centerpiece. You know that that's kind of the the uh, natural heir to to NAMA, and that it is you know the 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 neoliberal state once again using state institutions and and, and state resources. Uh, to, to enable capital uh, accumulation opportunities. Um, so the, the Land De- Development a- Agency um, will basically be able to, it's already in the process of surveying land owned by local authorities and other state institutions, CIE and other, so would own substantial amounts uh, of, of property. Um, and they will be able to identify those that they regard as uh, attractive for development opportunities. They will take ownership over uh, uh, the, the, from the local authorities and whoever else, it will primarily be from local authorities. They will take ownership of that land over from the local authorities and then will make all the decisions in relation to uh, how that property is developed. And then I think one of the important things of this is that you know local authorities in Ireland have very little power, um, which is, you know... Uh, another regrettable aspect of uh, Irish politics. Um, but one of the few powers they have had up to now is to have 
the decision-making power and veto over uh, the use and the selling off of, of public land. Um, and now public land, very large quantities of public land will pass over to uh, the Land Development Agency, uh, to, to its unelected and unaccountable bureaucracy, and they will inevitably oversee the mass privatisation of, of public lands. And you're going to see people like the senior executives in Dublin City Council who seem to be on a mission to destroy all public spaces uh, and amenities. Uh, that's what's coming through there. And, you know, the the, the what would the tragedy of this or what would make you angry about this is that there's enough zoned residential land owned by local authorities and other public authorities in Ireland already there, uh, already zoned for residential purposes, to build about 100,000 homes. Uh, uh, nearly 60,000 of those are in the Dublin area, in the four uh, Dublin and region uh, local authorities. Um, and But now the LDA is coming in, carrying out their surveys, will pick out the best and the most profitable land. Um, and then its role is to, 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 to tender that um, and uh, develop selected land, however it sees fit. Um, and, you know, the, the government has been talking under pressure recently of making 100% of housing on NDA, LDA developments in Dublin and Cork being social uh, or affordable. Uh, but that's not in the legislation, uh, and of course, their definition of affordable is is pretty ludicrous, as as we know. Um, so we're you know on the precipice of something that is going to be as significant as NAMA and at least as damaging uh, uh, as NAMA. The LDA, it, its mandate is very reminiscent of uh, NAMA's commercial mandate, um, and its you know its mandate is to to get the best commercial deal. Um, and I've no doubt the outcome here is going to be similarly to disastrous for all, except the developers and the builders, you know, the financial sector and the professions that are associated with the, the property development sector. Um, and of course, the, those political parties that get their support and their, uh, and their funding from, from, from those sectors as well. Um, so, you know, when you consider the, the definition of affordable homes that we've seen of anything up to 450,000 in, in parts of Dublin, uh, 400,000 other ur urban areas. Um, and you know, we're seeing other, you know, um, other housing initiatives that have been talked about, the 10% stamp duty on bulk buying of homes, um, but won't apply apartments. They, you know, corporates can still buy, bulk buy a, apartments without this, you know, but... You know, the corporate landlords, when they come in to buy something, they take a, a 20 to 25 year view of the return on that. So a one off 10 percent stamp duty isn't going to change calculations that are spread out over 20 or 25 years that much. So it's probably not going to have that much effect. Um, so really, uh, it, it's. It's so, you know you can't really see anything beneficial coming out of what they're they're doing in any meaningful way, and even today, just as we speak, um, and this recording, it's been reported that the government's housing plan that they're causing uh, calling I think uh, housing for all, so it's been reported now that that's been postponed. That was supposed to be published uh, in the week beginning the twenty sixth of July. News reports now saying that it's going to be delayed until the end of August or perhaps into to, to 
September. Um, and I think we all know that this is kind of Fine Gael and Fine Fall using housing um, as leverage against each other. And of course, you know, everyone else is going to get caught in the crossfire of that. So, yeah, the, the, the Land Development Agency, it is undoubtedly the successor to NAMA. And it's if it's allowed to get away with it, it will have equally disastrous results. Yeah, so essentially the, the, the housing situation is still an absolute mess and, and, and will continue to be an absolute mess for years to come on, mm. on, unless uh, some things change pretty fast. Um, and I do think there's something in that, like when we observe like the, 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 the I guess like the anger and, and just, just the, the rage that a lot of people have about what this government has done over housing again, particularly in my generation, um, with so many people have been forced out of the country primarily because of the housing situation. Um, so in that context, when we see that rage and the way it's kind of feeding in to to more young people being actually being engaged in in, in politics in, in ways they weren't previously as well, um, I think it, it it can be useful to kind of like look historically about what role housing has played in social movements. And this is something you touch on in the article. You kind of about it, including in the 1916 rising. So could you maybe explain a bit more about the role that housing has played in, in, in those movements historically? Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, and think about this one. It is, you know, housing is uh, and has been an important issue in its own right. But I thought also think the anger uh, and the frustration that it generates also finds a social articulation in other ways. Um, and I I, picked, I found a quote, I found this a couple of years ago, and I just found it fascinating from uh, May 1916 from the Irish Builder and Engineer magazine um, talking about uh, the part that housing played in the, in the rising uh, in, in, uh, in, in that Easter and there's a quote there. I'm just going to read it because I, I just found it fascinating. Like because it's significant, you know, it's written from the position of uh, of, of an elite. Um, but what they said was, we cannot doubt that the appalling conditions of working class housing prevailing in Dublin has rendered these elements of society very receptive to the doctrines preached to them by agitators, and eventually, many doubtless joined in an attempt to right evils by bloody means. If there were decent housing in Dublin, we venture to say not one in ten of those working class who unfortunately joined the rebellion would have given it their support. Um, I thought it was just an amazing quote. And perhaps, you know, it's an aspect of 1916 that it doesn't come through in the in the history that we know and, and read, um, that housing was a huge part of the social unrest in Dublin that would have um, informed the, the lockout uh, and the rising. Um, and then in, in the 1960s in Ireland and right around the world, housing w- was a huge part of the social energy behind the various um, movements that were going on in the likes of Dublin elsewhere in Ireland, but the likes of, you know, the... Um, Civil rights movement in the U.S. The Black Panthers were, you know, very involved in in housing. Um, so people's anger and uh, and anxiety about housing will fuel many protests uh, and social movements as they as they have done in the past. Um, 
uh, and they will do again both uh, in Ireland and internationally. I've no, got no doubt about that. And we are, I think, we're starting to see that already. Yeah, and I, I, I think what you've kind of said there is kind of testament to the fact that like housing is is an issue on which I think we see one of the kind of cruelest manifestations of the inhumanity of of capitalism as a system. And I think as on, on the, the the flip side of that, we, we, we see like historically um, some of the best achievements that socialists, whether it be in, in local councils or in, in governments have made, have been on the issue of, of housing. You, you think of something like um, Red Vienna in the, in the 1920s when the Socialist Control Council built loads of social housing, but also specifically had a very creative attitude towards the architecture, towards the layout um, of those of those houses. And that's kind of, I guess, like, I guess, a glimpse of the way things could be if, if, if housing was, were government and governed in a more humane way. Hmm. Um, on that then, though, so what do we think the outlook word for housing, uh, as you see it, is? And and what what does the left need to do um, on on the issue, like what, mm. what, how 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 would the left respond? Yeah, um, well, as you alluded to there, you know, the, the outlook in the short to medium term is is not good. Um, so you know we we've we're living in an astonishing era era of the wealthy, not just getting wealthier wealthier, but dramatically wealthier, um, and they're increasing wealth is always seeking out safe havens and return yielding assets. Um, and property is is just always attractive to the wealthy for, you know, it, it's, it's safety and the, and the tangibility that it gives for the, you know, relatively stable long-term investment yields that it provides year on year. Um, and it's all this wealth uh, and rapidly expanding wealth that finds its way into corporate property investment vehicles, into REITs, who then, you know, move into cities like Dublin and elsewhere and buy up large swathes of residential property in, in, in our urban centres here and across the world. Um, and, and Ireland is, is now so deeply integrated into those, you know, global financial uh, circuits. And it's, you know, it's it's frightening sometimes to see Fine Gael and Fianna Fáil and their utter ruthless determination now to loot public assets as they're doing with the LDA um, and to drive the financial uh, financialization of housing ever deeper. <coughs> you know, because each phase of the crisis um, that they themselves contribute to, to or created is then used as the pretext to force through the next stage of capital accumulation opportunities for developers and financial institutions which will do little of anything for to provide affordable housing so yeah the, the short to medium term you know isn't good there's probably going to be about 15 new 15,000 new housing completions in Ireland this year far below the 35,000 plus new homes that would be needed each year even if there was no housing crisis just to deal with growing population some older houses dropping out of the housing stock and other demographic changes. It needs thirty five to forty thousand new homes every year anyway, and you need more than that again to to get rid of the housing crisis, uh, deal with the waiting lists, pull rental prices down, pull housing prices down. Um, 
So the housing crisis, will, will, you know, is going to continue as long as capital and market ideology dominate and exploit housing needs, which is, you know, entirely um, the way it operates in Ireland now. Um, so for for socialists, you know, um, it's for us to, you know, I think collaboration between those of us involved in the political side and housing movements is really important. Um, you know, to try and pull together the the rent sector is very very disparate and it's very hard to organize um you know uh renters as opposed to maybe organizing in a workplace um but to do that and to build confidence for for protests build confidence for direct action you know we see organizations growing like um like katu um work on you know involving the trade unions in all the movements uh Linking with groups that can organise renters uh, amongst uh, ethnic communities, which is a huge part of the rental sector. Um, you know, the, those from the radical left p- political uh, milieu to be involved as well. You know, and to build campaigns that demand rent controls, rent cuts, bans on evictions, regulation to improve the standards of rental homes. Um, and, and, you know, very central demand is to... to uh, for mass public house uh, building programs, and so we can begin the process of decommodifying whole swathes of the housing market and start to exert downward pressure on house prices and rents, because um, that would be a very powerful impact, um, powerful starting point to ensure ultimately, you know, and as socialists, we want to get the point that the housing is uh, removed from. The circuits of capital accumulation and, and as a source of, of profit and just becomes solely about meeting the basic human need for a secure and affordable home for all. Um, so that that's where we need to focus. And, you know, I know coming up after the summer break, there are the National Homeless and Housing Coalition has called for protests middle of September. They've got something on the 11th of September and again on the 15th. So I think on their Facebook or other social media, you'll get more details on that. And as far as I know, Raise the Roof, which is another important campaign, uh, are planning to do something uh, in September or perhaps October. And I think all of us need to be there. We need to be invo- uh, embedded in the, those campaigns and those movements because they are going to be very, very important in the years ahead. Yeah, I would. I would second all of that. Uh, I'm a member of Cashew. That's the Community uh, Action Tenants Union uh, myself, and I would encourage all listeners uh, to join up as well. Um, but yeah, I think that's that's as good a place uh, as any um, to 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 finish off. If you enjoyed this chat, um, then that means you'll probably enjoy uh, Des's article in in Rupture Issue Four, uh, which means you'll probably enjoy most, if not all, of the articles in in, in Rupture Issue Four, and indeed every other issue. So, uh, which I think means you should subscribe to Rupture, which you can do at uh, rupture.ie. Um, I guess all that remains to be done is to to thank Des again for uh, another really interesting chat. Thank you, Michael. Enjoyed it and hope to do it again soon. Great. Uh, And to thank you, listener, uh, for for, for listening. Um, uh, See you soon.